Hello, my name is Christopher Monroe, and welcome to the Soundtrack to a Life. And welcome back. This is the soundtrack to a life. I am still Chris. Kev is still here with me. Hey, how are we? <laughs> Pretty well. And we are here today talking about Bentley Rhythm Aces' 1997 self-titled debut. Woo-hoo. Kev, tell me about this record. Tell me about your relationship with you. What brought you here? Bentley Rhythm Ace. God, where to start? They are such an unusual act. Very, very hard to describe. Okay, so take you back. I was 17 when this came out. There was really two main loves that I had from music in the UK in my teenage years. One was obviously Britpop. The second one was electronic music. And the UK was booming for dance acts around this time. You know, we had the Chemical Brothers, Prodigy, Underworld, Orbital. We, we just left field. We had so many great British dance acts. And Bentley was one that came out that had such a unique sound to them that I'll probably never hear again. And they're such a fun, fun band. So at school, because I was in my final years of school, they got passed around. And it's hard not to smile when you listen to Bentley. They were just sort of a small, unknown band. So the band itself... They're kind of a combination of a couple of different bands. So the, the band Pop Will Eat Itself in the UK. Oh! Yeah. I think Richard Marsh is from them. you got Mike Stokes, James Atkin. James Atkin, he was from EMF, who did the brilliant song Unbelievable. Yeah! Yeah. And so there was three or four. It was three originally, and then it became four. And the song of this album, Bentley's Going to Sort You Out, was massive in the UK. It was absolutely huge. They went on a whole bunch of TV shows. And, you know, this album was spent with my hard-earned pocket money, you know, because I would have been getting pocket money at that age. And it was just, I don't know, I loved this album. And I saw them when I was really young as well, which I'll talk about a little bit later on. But it's one of these bands that are just so out there and so weird. Not a lot of people know or like them. But for me, they just bring so much joy whenever I listen to them. Nice. I'm actually very surprised that I didn't know these guys up until now because I was a giant Pop Will Eat Itself person oh, wow. for a stretch of time. And wow. also, the late 90s, I was in pretty deep on dance acts as well. This was the period where American guitar music was getting into the like Creed and Nickelback Ugh. version of grunge. <laughs> so you were desperately looking for something else. Yeah, kind of. And like Britpop was starting to implode under its own weight. Yeah. And all of the indie bands that were coming out were making like chill out music, which like Travis makes amazing chill out music, but you're 19, 20, 21. You don't need chill out music. No, absolutely not. Yeah. The Man Who, funny you mentioned that. We talked about The Man Who in our, our last episode and just how much that album changed. So they worked with the same producer who did OK Computer for Radiohead. And you can tell because it's that sound. 
And very much to your point, the sound of the UK changed in the late 90s and bands didn't adapt. It was a very much an adapt or die, change your sound. So you had Pulp changing their sound, you had Blur changing their sound, and then you had bands like Coldplay suddenly come to fruition, Travis, Radiohead, and very much, I, I don't know what, maybe it was across the world, but there was a massive change in sound, particularly in the UK. The, probably the one thing that didn't change thankfully, was dance music. Dance music got stronger and stronger. It was actually between 95 and 2005, electronica in the UK and around the world was phenomenal time for dance music. And we've actually gone through a bit of a revival in the last 12 months. You know, We had Orbital and The Prodigy release new albums. We've got The Chemical Brothers just dropped one as well. Prodigy one was fantastic. It was amazing. So it's been, you know, I, I saw a comment on Twitter and it was this guy had posted, he's like, 2018 is the worst year for dance music of all time. And I went, are you, are you mental? You know, think of the bands that have released new music in 2018 and they're all been tremendous albums. Unfortunately, Bentley Rhythm Ace, no, they... They are, they are not releasing any new music. They are still touring, though. So, yeah, Richard March, who's probably the focal point of Bentley Rhythm Ace, he has not rejoined. It's actually more uh, Mike Stokes, James Atkin, who I talked about from EMF, and the drummer. They're doing sort of nostalgia tours. You would have seen that on Twitter in the UK. They do these, like, shine-on events where they bring sort of 90s bands back. And so Bentley are part of that. However, I kind of feel that's why they're not driving any new music is because the guy that actually created the music... is no longer a part, part of it. Yeah, he's no longer part of it. You know, so it is very much that nostalgia act. And I should, have, um, I should have realized that they were going to be made up of bands from that area. Because um, in my notes here, I'm a sucker for sampled dialogue in the middle of a song. It's my inner Carter USM Holy Bible era Mannix fan peeking out and going, yep, all music should have dialogue from a film in there for no reason. Well, it's funny you mention that. I mean, they were interviewed. So Richie was interviewed and he said, a magpie approach is a good way of describing our way of making music. Our favorite thing was usually was using really bad cover version albums and junk records we used to get from flea markets. We used to spend a tenner, so 10 pounds each, and come out with about 100 albums to sample from. We'd take them all back to the studio, have a few beers, and then we'd record it into a DAP machine and build the tracks from there. And I found a website, and they were interviewed specifically on the samples that they had used in every song. And they use so many different samples from the weirdest stuff you've ever heard in your life. Like, so the, the song, the track five, which is Run on the Spot, which is... Things like, take off your trainers and let's run on the spot. You know, it's actually from an old children's health and fitness album. Like where, you know, you put it on and it's this teacher coaching you through training. That's brilliant. I love stuff like that. Yeah, it's such a weird pull. But I mean, um, when you make music like this, part of your life is going to be spent looking for weird pulls that nobody's going to see coming, I guess. Yeah. And the other challenge that they had, they were saying to the skin record label which is you know the, the label that had fat boy slim on it as well the low fidelity all-stars as well and so 
they had huge competition in what the UK kind of called its big beat brand of music. And then the scene to sort of sound different and unique. And that's why I think they went all out there. Look, probably the, the one thing I'll say from the outset, this album, I hadn't listened to this album in quite some time. And I don't think it's aged as well as I thought it had. And I think a lot of that is down to the track length. I think the tracks, and that's a challenge with dance tracks, right? Dance tracks, because you're mixing in and mixing out of them, they need to be of a certain length. And I think that for some of the songs, the length of these tracks just went on for too long that, you know, the joy and happiness you get from or a rift or a loop or a sample, if they drill it down too much or too heavy or repeat it or don't change it soon enough, it becomes repetitive and annoying. Yeah, I'll buy that. I think that the confidence that it requires to start your record with a seven-minute-long big beat flute jam, oh. <laughs> it's a bold opening. Yeah, oh yeah, by, um, by far. And I do think the album warrants that. Like The songs are interesting and distinctive, and they straddle the line between thinky and dumb in a really expert way. <laughs> I guarantee it's because they were getting stoned while they made it. Oh, almost <laughs> certainly. And, and they were like, oh my God, we've created something special and unique. And in actual fact, it's, it's really simple and dumb. But that's, this album is not, they themselves are never to be taken seriously. You know, and that's, that's the, one of the greatest things about Bentley is that the way they act, the way they speak, the way they represent themselves, the way their music sounds, the way the artwork on the album is, anything about that band is so much fun yeah like populate itself were the same way yeah to me it was always this is the epitome of bands that are not in it for the success for the money for the fame they really just were a couple of students who got together and made music you know a perfect example is that they didn't release their follow-up album for two years i think i think it was late 99 and sort of one of the questions they got asked was like why did you wait so long for a second album and they went we had a chance to see the world. We literally said yes to every single tour that wanted us because we wanted to see the world. And who knows when we're going to get to do it again. And they were right because the second album didn't do well. The second album, For Your Years Only, didn't, oh, look, it didn't tank, but it didn't do well. And they broke up in 2000. So they were right to do it. You know, yeah, this right was their shot. Exactly. You know, if people are going to pay to, to see them and travel the world, go and do it. So I talked about seeing them live. I was, on, I was supposed to go and see them on the release of this album. Had tickets, was excited, and me and my friends drove to Glasgow to see them. We get all the way to the university that we were playing at, and we're like, it's a bit quiet. I mean, yeah, okay, we're a bit early, we don't know where it is, da-da-da. Anyway, we're looking around like, where the heck is everyone? And then we sort of like, we're looking for the hall to find out where this place is because there's no signs or anything. And we finally ask this person, we're like, oh, listen, we're here for the Bentley concert. And they're like, yeah, that got cancelled months ago, mate. Oh, jeez. Oh, Are you kidding me? And, you know, there was no internet back then to go on and check if it had been cancelled. You know, there was nothing. All it was was we found out that the place that we had bought the tickets from, sort of record store in a little town, had put a tiny little post-it you know, Bentley concert, Glasgow cancelled, apply within for refunds. So that was the very first sad experience of trying to get to see Bentley. So we, you know, drowned our sorrows in a couple of Big Macs. But I did get to see them in 2000. And if you haven't seen Bentley 
live, go on YouTube and just watch a video clip of them live. They have a full set of DJ decks, vinyl decks, behind a vintage car, right? So it's, oh. it's, a, t- it's a tiny small car with working headlights and working windscreen wipers and a set of decks that sit behind it. And that just epitomizes everything that Bentley is, you know? And it's just, you've got a bass player, you've got Richie on the decks playing the music, and you've got a drummer at the back who is insanely good at drumming as well. And they're just so much fun live. So I did get to see them in 2000, and it was the most fun I've ever had. Like, I still remember it being as if it was yesterday, and it certainly was not, but I just remember having so much fun seeing these guys. Nice. I would not have predicted live instruments when they played live. Yeah. (laughs) Well, look, they actually talked about it because they didn't know how to play live. They created the album in a bedroom. Now, how the hell did we recreate this? Yeah. How how do you take this on the road? And, you know, if you create, like, different artists, if you're, you know, the Crystal Method, for example, you use all of samplers and, and your machines. These guys did it all off, I think, an Amstrad computer. You know, like it was that old. How do you take that on the road? You can't bust out your Commodore 64 on, a, on, the, on the stage and suddenly start playing music. So they had to transform it. So the way they played it was literally, all right, I will mix records. I will actually play our songs on records and I'll have a backing drummer and a backing bassist. And that's what we'll do. I mean, I think that'd be very watchable. Oh, it worked. It worked because they all got into it. I mean, having a drummer certainly adds to it as well. Like having a a real drummer instead of that sampled electronic sound to it just adds a whole different dimension to it. Yeah, especially in this. This is a genre of music that is built around energy and enthusiasm. 100% agree. Which I feel like if allows the bands to do things for no reason other than their own joy and entertainment. When they're engaged, it's very engaging for you. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, this, this was a band that they weren't a massive band. They were never going to be a big band. But, I mean, the gig I went to was sold out. And it, it was a small venue, but everyone was into that gig. You know, there was no chin stroking. Everyone was just there to just have a, a blast. And I've been to some big, big gigs where the audience haven't been into it and the band hasn't been into it, and you go through the motions of a gig, and it just, you can tell. That is uncomfortable. Who were they? I actually, it's a bit of a weird one, actually. I saw Radiohead, yep. The Killers, and I think, you know, it's nothing to them. I mean, they are on leg one of a hundred shows. You know, like, they're about to go either on a big tour or they're halfway through it, where you go, you know what I don't understand on that? It's bands who play the same set list every show. I've never understood that. that. That is baffling to me. That is baffling to me. Like, you've got to keep it up. Yeah, I, I never, never understand that. It's interesting. I, I listened to this in the immediate aftermath of a new Mountain Goats album being released. Okay. And immediately before seeing Nico Case play live. So I was deep onto those two artists in reaction to one in preparation for the other. So, and they're both like, I don't know how familiar you are with those two groups, they are both like acoustic guitar, lyrics forward, <laughs> indie troubadour bands yeah. punctuated with this. Right, okay. Which conveniently I contain multitudes because <laughs> that was the mix I was listening to and it right. was jarring. In yeah, how bad it was. <laughs>
And look, these guys, they're not for everyone. They're very distinct. Even people who like dance music don't like Bentley Rhythm Ace. They mm. really don't. Look, the, the album itself, it actually did all right, this album. It got to... So Enemy, who are a UK magazine, hate everyone and everything, but they liked this album. They named it the ninth best album of 1997. The album got to number 13 in the UK. It got three... You know, we just talked about the Tragically Hip. This one got 3.1 on Rate Your Music, and it only got seven reviews compared to the Tragically Hip's 800 reviews. <laughs> so you can tell the scale of the band just by looking at that. Yeah, they're for the kids in the know. Like, I was listening to this style of music at this period. Like, I was enjoying the Chemical Brothers or Fatboy Slim or Prodigy. Yeah. It's great get-you-pumped-up music, uh, and this never even got on my radar. Yeah. I don't know why. Like, I, I think maybe the record company knew that this wasn't where you want to put your money. The long game here would not be with Bentley. They were a... Uh, and I think at that time, they fit nicely. But would they continue to pump out music? Probably not, because the music probably wouldn't have evolved, is yeah. my feeling. When you compare this album against the second album, it's more of the same, but not as good. You know, wow. And maybe that's because this album is, is so unique in the way it sounds, that when you try and do it again, it just doesn't come off that well. Yeah, it lacks Which, impact because it doesn't surprise you. No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. And don't get me wrong, the second album, you know, has some great songs on it. Has theme from Gutbuster, which is which is a great song. They collaborated with Kermit from Black Grape as well on two of the songs. But again, I don't know, it just didn't work out and they broke up, which is a shame. They were really fun guys that probably deserved a lot more from the scene. Yeah. Although I suppose this was the thing that they did after being successful yeah. with different bands. Yeah, true. That's a good point. <laughs> They, they um, got know, more out of the scene. It just all happened previous to this. Yeah, good point. Good point. If I look at James, who had come from EMF, they were very, very big in the early 90s. But late 90s, not so much. And so this probably gave the opportunity of an outlet for him. Yeah, and especially something like that, like not to speculate about how people live their lives, but he got EMF famous at the age of 2021. 20, yep. Probably one of the things he came out of that with was, oh, I should have seen more of the world while I was traveling the world. Yeah. Rather yeah. than taking a cab to the venue and then afterwards to a bar somewhere. Yeah, true. <laughs> Good point. You know, we talk about that difference in touring age, right? So early 20s, you're all about every night a late one. And then, you know, as you sort of get to your end of your 20s, you go, holy crap, I've been to so many cities and probably never looked at the stuff I wanted to. So yeah, very, very different. So what did, what did you think of the album, Chris? Oh, I thought it was delightful. I thought it was really uh, delightful and inventive. And I thought it really held my attention well. I did not find the songs over long. Okay, great. That's a great thing. So a couple or three listens is different than being obsessed with them and then revisiting them 20 years later. Absolutely. Uh, maybe with that kind of familiarity. I think that it's interesting structurally what all of the bands of this ilk are doing, how the songs are not structured like traditional pop songs. It's build and release rather than verse chorus. Um, and I think that it's not made for radio or mainstream crossover success and that if we're uh, being honest the reason that this broke through in the late 90s a lot of it was that the state of guitar music left an available exploit for them yeah i agree like american guitar music was either nickelback or some of the new metal limp biscuit type bands of that style 
I love me a biscuit. You... <laughs> Do you actually, or are you being arched? No, 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 I'm dead serious. I, sadly, I really <laughs> like Limp Bizkit. But Limp they... Bizkit were the biggest rock band in the world, and people who claim that they were not yeah, are trying they, to they rewrite were... history to benefit themselves. People loved those guys, and I stand by your right to do so. <laughs> well, there's, there's two reasons why I like Limp Bizkit. I had a bit of angst in me yep. towards you know, 2000 to 2005, and you know, I loved me some Linkin Park, Limp Bizkit. I liked anything like My Way by Limp Bizkit is such a song that is paramount to me for a certain moment and a certain decision I made in my life. And that I'll always be really close to that song. But the second reason is they are so tied into wrestling culture. And I was heavy. I still am into heavily into wrestling. They did the soundtrack to WrestleMania 17, I want to say. And th- there's nothing better than a wrestling montage and Limp Biscuit. Nice. And yeah, it's, it's so Limp Biscuit. I, 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 yeah, look, I can see why some people crap all over Limp Bizkit, but for me, I actually really enjoy them. So, yeah. But yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. There was a gap in the market. Yeah, for and, somebody who and, was coming in and just having fun making music. Exactly. 100% agree with you. You commented on this era of electronic dance music going from like 95 to 2005. Yeah. The experience with it out here was much shorter of a period. Oh, all of these bands, everybody knew, and the people who wanted to follow them to different adventures could follow them to different adventures. But the spot where music that sounded like this was mainstream pop radio music. Uh, okay. Basically, The Prodigy got one record off. Right. And most of the other bands got one on their way up and one on their way down. And then by about 2001, the Strokes and Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and Rapture and that kind of brand of either Northeastern or Northwestern bands sounded fun again and had actual mm. songs that worked on the radio. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I see. And I it was see. a lot more comfortable for everyone. Yeah. Me and Leslie were having this argument on the Oasis episode. And I look at the 90s. I, when I was in the 90s, I didn't enjoy the 90s musically, which is very unusual. You know, I had Britpop and I had Electronica, but they were still pretty niche. When you look at the rest of the music out of the UK in the 90s, especially at the end of the 90s, we had girl bands, boy bands. Like, we were very much going through Take That, Boyzone, Westlife, you name it. Chuck a couple of boys together or chuck a couple. It was just... And then we had this Euro house, Euro trance crap dance music coming into the charts. And so when I was in the 90s, I sort of... I didn't really enjoy what was out there i liked what was in my sphere i enjoyed it a lot the rest of it i went this is terrible god this sucks and when you're in the 90s all you heard about was how good the 70s or how good the 80s was and then it's only once you got out the 90s and and now you know i'm obviously 20 years on from that that i go god that was a great time to be alive and enjoy music there was just so much variety within that decade different styles different artists and you know just You cannot say that about the year 2000. You cannot say that. I don't know. I don't think you can. I think that you can. I just don't think that we're going to. Yeah, we won't. We absolutely won't. (laughs) um, A 17-year-old right now, going through everything new that is coming out right now, and then filtering out what is objectively just nonsense, will in 20 years boil it down to 10 or 15 bands that are powerful and era-defining. 
we growing up in the 90s got told how great music was in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. So much of that music was just bullshit. It's just that somebody else had gone through the effort of weeding out the bands that sucked Good and point. handing out the ones that worked. Yeah, that's true. Good point. I mean, it's interesting, though. I mean, you talked about, you know, we had grunge, we had Britpop with us. I, I don't know if there's been a movement or a, a sort of genre like that at the last 20 years. You know, where a specific five-year period has been so dedicated to one sound. I don't know if we've had that. I don't know if we'll have that again. I mean, we might not. Like, we're at the point where everybody is writing to the Spotify playlist mm-hmm. algorithm now. And that is kind of leveling everything out. But at the same time, it's never been easier for somebody small scale and weird. To make music. Yeah, to make music and find whatever audience comes. Yeah. It's just that they don't have the kind of backing that people yeah. in their 30s and 40s are going to find out who that is until they suddenly break so wide that they're inescapable. Yeah, I agree. It's such a weird one, and we can debate the pros and cons of Spotify until we're blue in the face. You know, we get recommended so many new bands that don't have record deals. You know, one band this week called Mercury Machine pinged us and just asked us to have a listen to their album, and it's fantastic. The only caveat we need is that I just need to know, can we listen to the album on Spotify? If it is, we're all in. We're good. We'll have a listen to it and promote you. So with, without that avenue, especially for us in Australia, it serves a purpose. But then you've got the flip side of that where, one, our album's going to be a thing in 10 years because of the Spotify and YouTube generation where you can just release a song or a collection of songs without having to think about an album. And then there's the second piece, which is Spotify pays artists 0.000001 you know, for every play they get. It's fine for the likes of them that clock up millions, but for these struggling artists that are actually trying to make money and, and trying to get themselves out there, that collect their paycheck at the end of the week and it's two pounds, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, there's so, no way that they can. But at the same time, the like Bandcamp and Spotify era of music isn't following people buying CDs, right? Like it's following people downloading exactly one song on iTunes. Yeah, it's true. Because yeah. they don't need... 90 minutes of this band they need that one song that they can't get out of their head right now and the album somehow survived that that's true i just don't know i mean we talked about an example around um florence and the machine where she had a song in her head and she went into the studio and recorded it and put it out and they asked her like so what's the album sound like she was like no i recorded one song i just put it out there and and that's it i'm good to go and so you know in the old days is it in the old days low you used to craft an album. This is yeah. my intro track. This is my slow and steady number. And then this is going to lead me out the album. And you, you build this album around the story or journey. I, I don't know if that's still the case anymore, which is really sad. That's arguably true. I think a lot of people are doing that. At the same time, Aqua in 1997 did not... Oh, sit- God. Come on. Craft how, an how album? Did, <laughs> how did you bridge to Aqua? <laughs> So Aqua didn't, did, are you, is your argument that Aqua they were not? Is, they were not crafting an album either. They were crafting a big pile of crap. There's always going to be groups out there that are here to do one song that hits really big. And it's useful that we can listen to that one song rather than shelling out money. <laughs> <laughs> Who's listening to that song? I oh. don't know. They came to town. Oh, they're massive. They're still touring. They are yeah. still touring now. There is a whole bunch of 90s nostalgia acts that travel together 
Aqua is still one of these people that tours and gets crowds. Dude, I'm right. Right said Fred and the Venga Boys are coming to town. Oh. In the next month or two. Oh, God, no. My dad used to love Right Said Fred. I remember we used to have that cassette in the car and it was on nonstop. I, remember, I can still sing Deeply Dippy. <laughs> it, is, it is a weird Wikipedia rabbit hole. If you are ever insomniac and want to learn a lot but not have any of it be applicable to anything, I was reading Peter Hook from New Order's book about his time with Joy Division. Okay. And then halfway through, he was at a party with Joy Division in like 1979, 1980. And then this person did this, and then this person did this. Also, Right Said Fred were there. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And And then talking about it to one of my friends. Oh, yes, Right Said Fred were briefly David Bowie's backing band. Okay, what is happening? Everyone shut up. I'm only thinking about this now. I have to learn about the incredibly storied history. Of right, said Fred. I guess I knew that they were alive for longer than 18 months. I think they're still producing music, if I remember right. I'm pretty sure that I went into... I might throw Les that as a guilty pleasure. But um, I'm pretty sure I checked on their albums and I was like, this band is still making music today. It's like the Russian band Tattoo. Did you guys get Tattoo? We got them for about a hot minute, yes. Yeah, you got the one song like all of us did, right? So they were two Russian schoolgirls doing that you know, lesbian-esque act. They're still going. And I think they're older than me now. So, you know, how does, how does that... They're still making albums. They're still kicking them out and touring. And you go, how, 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 what? how did that happen? Is it Russian-speaking countries? No, it, they are traveling the world. They are, oh, are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're still big. That was definitely my prediction when um, Gangnam Style was the biggest song in the world for some reason. Christ, that song was huge. This guy's going to go forever because he has obvious stage presence, obvious charisma, and there are a bunch of places where people do know what he's saying. Exactly, yeah, exactly. In those places, he's going to continue being a famous person. Just not his home country. (laughs) Probably not. Well, that, so, I didn't expect to talk about Tattoo on Bentley Rue the Mace, but there we go. Yeah, we get tangential up in here. <laughs> Tying it back, do groups like this or Chemical Brothers or Fatboy Slim hold up better than the early 90s like house-influenced dance acts? Or was I just a more age-appropriate person for Give me dance an example. Music? Give me an example. Well, I mean, like, compare a group like Chemical Brothers mm-hmm. to somebody like too unlimited or technotronic <laughs> i loved me some too unlimited that's why i'm laughing I, too unlimited were great yeah one of my first ever cd purchases was tribal dance by uh too unlimited it's a great generation definer because we have a early 90s radio station at my work oh okay and whenever too unlimited comes on the radio everybody under the age of i want to say 30 goes what is happening this isn't a hockey game <laughs> Yeah, this isn't a rave. What's going on? Previous to this being the song that everyone played at hockey games, these were an actual band. (laughs) (laughs) It's good that you brought that up. So I think that bands like Underworld, The Chemical Brothers, The Orbital, they were built for albums. The Prodigy is a perfect example. They went from the Experience album, which is that rave, that Technotronic 2 Unlimited, and you put it on... Like, the songs are amazing. I mean, it has Out of Space on there, but it's great for that moment. 
But then you move it into music for the Jilted, which was their follow-up. And that is a much more mature, well-produced, structured album where it has an intro. It has its build-ups. It has its big numbers. It yeah. has its, its end tracks. So I think dance music had gone, yeah, you're okay there. But what I want is I want different styles of dance music and I want an album where it's well thought through and produced. And the Chemical Brothers Dig Your Own Hole album is the epitome of a well-structured dance album. Like it was the first, one of the first dance albums to partner with Beth Orton, I think it was, to actually slow it down and do a nice, somber, beautiful number and then straight back out of it, build it into the private psychedelic reel. Yeah, it's something that's meant for you to pay attention to rather than a collection of tracks that sound good between other tracks by other artists while you are on fun club drugs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's funny you talk about those because that late 90s, those acts built albums that had different sound and took you on that journey. This album, Bentley's Gonna Sort You Out, this is not it. This is absolutely not one of those albums. It is put on, play, enjoy, move on. It's not there for you to get emotional to. It's not there for you to think about. It's really just there to have a little smile, a little boogie, and you move on to your next thing. What did you think of the tracks? What were your favorites? There were a number that I really enjoyed. We're going to be opening with Woosh. We're going to be closing with Bentley's Gonna Sort You Out. Oh, great song. I thought that this was great music for doing things to. Yeah. Like this really makes my walk to work. Ah. This really. You get a spring in your step. Yeah, 100%. Like you're really pumped up about facing your day. Yeah. I like bands like Nico Case. I like bands like Mountain Goats. The other two major things that I was listening to during this. I'm not ready to attack some kind of challenge. They are end of day music when I'm curling up with a book. Yeah. This is start of day music. Yeah. When I got a bunch of shit I want to do. Yeah, you know, I totally agree. This is when you want to get stuff done. That you is know, exactly is, right. I'll give you an example. This, is, this shows you my age. I had to sand a fence yesterday, mm. right? Yeah, the worst possible job in the world. You're not going to put an acoustic number on to do a job like that. You need to be productive. You need to be energized. And you need something upbeat. The challenge I've got with this, like I think everyone would know if I was to play a set or have some friends around or whatever, if I was to chuck on Bentley's Gonna Sort You Out, I think majority, most people would know what that track is or remember that track. But any other track on that album, forget it. They would actually probably turn around and go, what is this? That is very surprising to me. I would have assumed that they would have been a bigger deal because they are very engaging and of their time, but distinctive enough within that to carve out their own spot. Yeah, I I 100% agree. Although, I will say, an hour and 18 minutes is a lot. (laughs) It's it's a long time. It is a long time. None of it is bad. If I started at the halfway point, then I enjoy the second half a lot more than if it's coming in already an hour into this music. Right, okay. The one thing that turns me off this album, which kind of still does, is the drum and bass element. It's on Ragtop Skoda Car Chase. And it's on the last song, which is Return of the Hardcore Jumbo Carboot Techno Disco Roadshow. Okay, now you're just fucking with us, guys. <laughs> you guys, this, this title cannot be. That's how dumb this band is, that they create Midlander, There Can Only Be One. It's a spin-off of the Highlander series. They've got a song called Who Put the Bomb in the Bomb Bomb Diddly I Bomb? You know, <laughs> dumb. But that's the epitome of this band. 
it's about having fun. It's not taking themselves too serious. But for me, the drum, and I don't know how it stood for you, but the drum and bass coming into the songs, I'm not a massive fan of drum and bass. And so yeah. hearing it in this album, I was like, oh, that's a drum and bass song. It's okay. It does take me out of the album. Now, I think just from reading UK-based music magazines through the 90s and early 2000s, I feel like drum and bass was probably a bigger deal over there than it was here. It never made any kind of impact. Ah, okay. And therefore did not bother me. Like, like it's just, oh, here is one texture among others. It's not necessarily yeah. my favorite, but okay. I'm also not reacting strongly negatively to it. Ah, okay. Yeah, drum and bass was big with us. We had Goldie and we had Ronnie Size. He was about to just win, or if not, he had just won the Mercury Prize Award for his drum and bass album. So it was, yeah, drum and bass was big-ish for us. For me, not for me, not for me. Still no. haven't quite gone to drum and bass all these years later. I feel like you don't have to by this point. Yeah. <laughs> all right, I'm going to stop bothering. I feel like that moment is probably past. <laughs> you, you know, you I, do not, I saw... You do not I host saw... a podcast where somebody might eventually force you to listen to drum and bass for three hours while taking oh, notes. No, no. The way that I might I... someday. Oh, I did see LTJ Bookham about, I want to say about 15 years ago, maybe more. And I was, he was in the middle of this dance festival and had the Crystal Method there, who I absolutely adore. Crystal Method is fantastic. Oh, amazing. And their new album, The Trip Home, is amazing. That's another great electronica album that came out. But LTJ Bookham came on. I was like, oh, great. I mean, there's a time and a moment for drum and bass. And once I figured out kind of how to dance to it, I felt a lot better about it. Yeah. You low-key called me on it when I described one of the uh, tracks on the Tragically Hip record as It Sounds Great Live. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But some songs require you to be there in person. Yeah, they really, really do. So what was your least favorite song on this? My least favorite song on this? I don't know that I had a least favorite song on this. Um, like, there were portions of it that I got tired during. But this is one of the, like, the downside of them not structuring their songs in a traditional songwriterly yeah. style yeah. is that they don't fit as well on the radio amongst other songs. The yeah. upside is when they're doing material that's not working as well, it's less I dislike it and more it's rolling right off me. Yeah, that's a good point. The other thing is it doesn't give you any downtime in this album at all. Yeah, like you're throwing yourself directly out of the wall. Yeah, it's 11 tracks of non-stop electronic big beat loops it's not you know if i look at the chemical brothers dig your own hole comparing it to that there's moments where you get a respite that you get a lull which is nice to have and then you get brought back into it by a big number and this doesn't have that so my feedback on this album i love it it's too long you need to shave some time off this album all um, 90s albums are too long <laughs> every single one every single one. uh we, we had the technology well, to do so and we didn't know that we probably shouldn't what is in your opinion the correct length for an album Oh, see, great question. It's not be here now. I'll tell you that much by Oasis. No, that's true. Uh, that was 71 minutes. I just checked how long Dig Your Own Hole was, and that was 63 minutes. You know, so that's 63 minutes for... Because I would expect a dance album to go longer than an indie Britpop album, just by the very oh, nature of some of its tracks, Okay. You know, Underworld is a perfect example where they have tracks 10, 15 minutes long, but it takes you... Yeah, a... but by the end of it, I'm still right in there. Yeah. I don't want it to be one second shorter. Exactly, and it takes you on a journey. That's the great thing about that. What's the perfect length of an album? What's the story Morning Glory got it right? 
What's the story got it right? Because the intro's excellent. They had interludes, which worked really well. Really short interludes. Yep. They had some short acoustic numbers, and then they build it back up to the Champagne Supernova. So I would say that's probably around 55, 60 minute mark. That for me is my perfect, if you're going to structure an album, that's the way to do it. If it's an electronic album, move to the Chemical Brothers, dig your own home. That yeah. makes sense. I think I probably prefer 45 to 60 as well, somewhere in there. Because like nobody who goes, oh, we're giving you extra value. You're not though, because we're not enjoying the worst three tracks on this piece. And if you like follow that to its logical conclusion, you get to that Drake record that came out last year that was two and a half hours long. Holy cow. So that he could game the Spotify plays. Oh, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, he took over all of Spotify, possibly not in the UK. And then every playlist was Drake related. Oh, okay. And he put out a record that was god awful long, knowing that people would show up for all 28 tracks. Oh my god. If they and liked that's... him. Yeah. Wow. And like, I've liked maybe like four songs by that dude in the past. I think I like Which one. put me in a very, yeah, which put me in a very uncomfortable position because like four songs is enough. Oh, the new one's coming out. I'm going to check it out. Cut to two solid hours later. Nah. Oh, nah. this is, okay. this so is incredible. Yeah, here I am complaining about Be Here Now. I don't have to listen to Drake, thank God. <laughs> no, you do not. You didn't have to listen to Be Here Now either. How is that uh, making it onto anybody's list? Oh, uh, it's Leslie's by far. Leslie loves this album. Still does. Me, yeah, I think I had rose-tinted glasses on when I re-listened to it. And then the more I listened to it, I realized what a shallow album it was. But you know what? It makes her happy. Let her talk about it. She gets to sing a lot, so yep. she's happy. That checks out. And I mean... The ninth best Oasis album <laughs> can still be an appropriately good Oasis album to somebody who likes Oasis more than me. Yeah, I like to comment about that. I don't. Yeah, it's probably not the ninth for me. I, uh, Les puts it in order. She puts it exactly like the Die Hard movies <laughs> from one to five. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that checks out. I don't know. I just I would listen to the Master Plan. Oh, great album! Great again, album. before I listen to Be Here Now, I would listen to Familiar to Millions. Like, there's so much Oasis in the world. And you know what? Maybe we're, I also felt a bit of Oasis fatigue as well going through this one. So it'd be interesting to see if we cover the other albums. I mean, I can't imagine you not. <laughs> I can't imagine that. You <laughs> that. If, if it's, it's... the story. Orion definitely maybe uh, yeah. don't make it onto your top 50, but this one does. Yeah, there'll be an outcry. I it's funny, it's, it's, it is funny you. though, because our top albums are both different, so it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I obviously know the result. Leslie does not, which is going to be interesting. God help me if I tell her that one of our albums didn't get the top 10, she'll smash my face out. So. No, but it's been, a, it's been a good process. It's been a lot of fun to listen to. Thank you. Which I, I guess we've gotten that. completely off topic. And it's closing in on an hour. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to answer three questions. Okay. I'm absolutely going to listen to this record again. Oh, uh, so it's happy. super good. I enjoyed it a lot. It Thank is going to probably go into the pile with other big beat artists from this era. And I'm glad that I have somebody who sounds genuinely new. That's great. Uh, to That's add to really, that. That makes me so happy. Yeah, I got a real kick out of it. I am choked that they will never come to my town. But none of these bands ever come to my town. Except for Crystal Method. Oh! Who comes to my town every year? You need to go see the Crystal Method, and you need to tell me. Oh, like I'm waiting for him to come down under because it's just it's just him now. It's just one of them. You will have. I love the Crystal Method. I absolutely love it. So if you get a chance to go and see him, you lucky boy. I have. It was great. He comes back every year. 
It is the exact opposite of British bands that I like that will definitely never come to Calgary. They are from Vegas. It is driving distance from here. All of their tours wind up winding through Western Canada. Yeah, of course, of course. I am also going to explore the rest of their catalog, even though you have already warned me that they only have one other record than this. And it well, is they, so there's two. There's For Your Years Only, which is their second album, which has some really fun songs on it. It's just not as great, but it's still fun. They do a Future Sound of the United Kingdom compilation, which is a two-CD disc. It's where the, the Freestylers did one, for example, and it's basically just a mashup of lots of different styles of music. So they may go into hip-hop, then country. They just mix and scratch their way through a lot of different songs. So it's the Future Sound of United Kingdom 2. I love it. I think it's great. It's such an unusual mix. I would suggest if you do get into the second album and that doesn't turn you off, have a look for that album. You'll pick it up dirt cheap. Nice. I will look into it. Yeah. And uh, as I said earlier, we're going to close on Bentley's going to sort you out. Oh, my favorite ever Bentley song. So good. It's a great track. They have to have felt good finishing that going, yep, this is our second act. That's the one. That's the one. Uh, this has been the Soundtrack to a Life. Uh, follow along on Facebook and Twitter at SoundtrackCast. SoundtrackCast.com. Like us, review us, share us, rate us. Tell people about us in person. I don't know. Whatever you want to do. Kev, do you want to plug your things? So yeah, as we sort of said at the start, my name is Kevin. I co-host a podcast with Leslie and we do Britpop banter and we're counting down the top 50 Britpop albums of the 90s. You can find us at Twitter, at Britpop banter. And on Facebook as well. Thank you so much for having me on. It was good to talk about the Tragically Hip. And um, I feel really bad that I didn't like that. <laughs> you definitely don't have to. You would not be the first guest who did not like. I'm so I sorry. I have brought them. I'm aware that Tragically Hip don't export. But you know what? A Bentley was an absolute blast. And it's been a fun conversation. Like, you're welcome back anytime. Thank if you there's so somebody much. that you want to force somebody to listen to <laughs> that does not fit your own show. We will do this again. I've really enjoyed the conversation and I will come up with another band that necessarily you don't know. And you have to find me someone I don't know and maybe a different genre maybe. Maybe I hear something dancey or electronic from uh, Canada. That checks out. Yeah. I will hook you up. Have a great night. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) 